repeated. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning, and I'm glad to see that the time change uh, has not affected a, a lot of us, <clears throat> and that you are here. So uh, maybe you woke up uh, early this morning on accident or late, uh, but either way, I'm glad you're here. And so today we'll be in Psalm chapter 11. Um, I love the um, changing of the season and all the, the time changed. Um, I got up and uh, it, was, it was cold even though it's heading into spring. I uh, had some uh, hot tea while I was watching the sunrise out the back of the garage back here behind the house. And uh, it was just cool to see. So changing seasons and the birds chirping and um, a lot of uh, wonderful things and a reminder of um, how God's always changing things. And he's got a special word for us this morning, I think. Um, just in how we view what's taken place recently and the, uh, the positive changes that have happened in our uh, country and in our town, and just being able to say that we're going to have VBS, uh, that's, a, that's a huge thing. Um, I know um, Christy and I were talking about this week, and um, we were just excited about it. We came um, just after VBS to the church uh, about a year and a half ago, but I thought, well, this will be the first VBS that we'll get to be a part of, and that'll at that point be about two years since we came to the church. So if you can imagine... Um, all the things that uh, we had to do differently. Um, God's given us some hope and some encouraging things uh, as of late. So uh, I pray that we'd focus on those especially. And so today we'll be in Psalm chapter 11. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there uh, if you're not already there. And we'll be talking about this idea of living peace, uh, living peace, and uh, this idea that we can have peace in our time. And this is within the series New Life. Uh, Now, We've been kind of asking ourselves the question, what will new life look like? What will the new normal look like? Uh, and so I don't know exactly the, the answer to that, um, but I think David, who wrote this psalm, um, has some important things for us to think about uh, throughout this entire experience, um, no matter what's going on. How can we have peace in our time? And um, as I was thinking about the message, just the text today, uh, we watched a movie again recently, one in the Avengers series. I'm sure you may have seen it. Age of Ultron. Now, it's one that uh, people probably forget of the last 10 years just because all the Infinity War stuff came out and it was like, that's the best movie ever, whatever. And, uh, but that movie, I, when, I, when I was watching that, it reminded me of something, that uh, people are always looking for how we can have peace right now. We all fulfill that, or we try to, in different ways. And the theme of that movie, if you, were wa- you remember watching it, the Iron Man character Um, says something about peace in our time. He says, we can have peace in our time. And it was all about this artificial intelligence, which, by the way, if you've seen any movie about artificial intelligence, it's always the road to disaster, okay? So uh, just remember that. If that ever comes up again, say, I think think people know what's going to happen here. Uh, And that's exactly what happened in the Avengers movie. The artificial intelligence they created, which was supposed to provide peace, in their time, ended up being a very bad thing, right? And so if you haven't seen it, I won't ruin it for you. You can go and watch it. Uh, But that's where I kind of got just the theme, this idea of peace in our time. And so while in David's time, there wasn't artificial intelligence, there wasn't robots, uh, there wasn't a technology, they had advancements or things that um, people thought could still bring them happiness or peace. And David says uh, he's got the key for us. While other people kind of faltered and wavered, uh, people who were even his friends and advisors said, here's what you need to do. And in Psalm chapter 11, David recounts these words for us. He reminds us what other people told him to do when things were tough. And then he gives us a response that I think is really, really important for us to see. And so 
If you don't know anything about the book of Psalms, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. Most of us just think it's a collection of songs, and you'd be partially right there. It certainly is a collection of songs, but it encompasses a whole lot more than that. And so, as David primarily writes uh, about half of this, there's some other authors that are involved, uh, but Ezra, uh, who we, we read about last year when we were going through Ezra, Nehemiah was the guy who compiled this. And when David comes to this place in Psalm chapter 11, um, we don't know exactly what phase of life this is, but it's probably between the period of, uh, of going kind of back and forth with King Saul. Uh, he's, he's leading his mighty men. He's fighting battles for Israel, but yet the king, King Saul at the time, is still trying to kill him when he gets opportunities. And David, well, he has a response for the people that say, you might want to run away. You might want to flee. Are you sure you want to trust in God? And we'll get to see that today. And so with that, that brings us right to our first point, peace in the storm. Now, there will only be two points today, um, so maybe it'll be short. Uh, Who knows? I shouldn't say that. Then it'll go long. Uh, But it's about peace in our time in this first fill in the blank, peace in our time. And in the very first verse, David says this, says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? And so David, in verse 1 here, in response to what people have told him, uh, while uh, there are others who are pursuing him, it's Saul, King Saul, and his relatives. And, and then on top of that, there's also um, the people who are in the surrounding nations, like the Philistines. Remember, David killed Goliath. Now, that was many, many years before he actually became king. And so he's got uh, people that don't like him kind of all over the place. And David could have just said, hey, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to flee like a bird to the mountains. I'm going, to, I'm going to get out of here while I still can. But no, David stands his ground with his mighty men. And we'll see the stance that he takes. And it's a bold one for sure because most of us in that situation would have said, look, I've got like a really good following. I could take my people and I could go somewhere else. And they would probably set me up as a king wherever we go. But he says, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to fight Israel's battles for them, by the way. He's got his mighty men. He's kind of going around and he's going, okay, what can we do now, God? What do you want us to do? And he's fighting for Israel while King Saul and the rest of Israel are kind of looking to hurt him, uh, as well as the Philistines and other people are going, how can we get David? And he responds to his counselors. He responds to his friends that say, flee like a bird to your mountain. And and I love that because, again, we're in that season where the birds are coming out, um, unless you have birds making nests in places that you don't want them. I opened up the side door this morning because early in the morning I'm just checking things out. I'm, you know, take out the trash and do that kind of stuff. And so I open up the side door and this bird is making a nest right on top of the light fixture right by our side door. And I, I didn't know it. So I open it up and this bird's like, ah, and starts, starts flying around. And, and he, was, he was startled. I was too. Uh, and what did he do? He, he got out of there as quickly as he could. What do birds do? Um, even if they're making a home, if they're making a nest, they flee any sign of trouble, right? And they just fly away. And so David's friends say, I'm not sure this is where you want to be. All right, let's just, let's get out of here. Do we really need to be fighting the Philistines and King Saul and any other enemy that would think, oh, are they on Israel's side? Are they on David's side? Like, who are they with? Well, let's fight them anyway. And so his buddies say, let's get out of here like a bird that flees to the mountains. And what does David say? Before he even brings up what his friends say, he he says, in the Lord I take refuge. He says, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain. 
And so this kind of reminded me, last year we were going through Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, uh, not only the temple has been finished, but the wall has been finished. And there are people that don't like Nehemiah. Um, he's done some things to, to uh, set up Jerusalem again, to set up the temple and the wall. And he's being told by these characters, Sanballat and Tobiah. I don't know if you remember those guys, but um, they were uh, from a surrounding nation who did not like uh, the people of God gaining their independence again. And so they send word and they say, hey, hey, Nehemiah, would you come out and meet us? Would you come out? We just want to talk to you. Have you, have you ever had anybody that like really doesn't like you? Or like maybe you're at school and the bully's like, you want to meet me outside after school? Just want to talk. I just want to talk to you, right? That's, it's never about just talking, right? right? So uh, when Nehemiah talks to them, he, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that, right? Because I know how that's going to end. And well, so he's got somebody from the outside trying to get at him. He's also got people from the inside. So uh, this guy named Shemaiah, who is uh, in the temple, he, uh, he calls to uh, Nehemiah. He goes, hey, hey, man, there's a lot of people that really want to hurt you. Like, you know, yeah, don't go outside. That's not a good idea. Why don't you hide in the temple? Like, come here, stay here. Don't go talk to anybody. Don't do anything. And what Nehemiah knew was that he had been hired by Sanballat and Tobiah to do exactly the same thing, to either get him out of the picture so that the people of God didn't have the leader that they needed at the time. And so just like Nehemiah, David says, I'm not going to flee to the mountains. Uh, who, who is the God that I worship? I take refuge in the Lord. And now here in verse 2, it says, For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright. Oh, that's, that's interesting. So now again, this is David. He's recounting what people have told him, the advice that people have given him. While Saul's pursuing him, while the surrounding nations are going, you're not going to win this. They're telling this to David. And, and they, they say, hey, look, the wicked bend the bow. I mean, they're getting ready. That means they're getting ready to attack you. Uh, they have fitted their arrow to the string. It means the bow's bent, the arrow's in the bow. Like, I mean, it's imminent, right? I mean, bad stuff's going to happen. And, and then it says, their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright. Now, David's revealing something for us that even his counselors, his, the people who are saying, we need to get out of here, this is what we need to do, now, people are getting ready to attack us, and the counselors reveal something in their response to David, in what they've told him. They shoot in the dark at the, uh, of the upright in heart. Um, it reminded me of this, I don't know if you remember, it's this online-based game, maybe they have it like, I'm sure they could have it for like iPhones and stuff now, called Bowman. Uh, you remember you'd like, there'd be that little stick figure, and you'd, like, he'd pull back the little arrow, and he would try to get the person on the other side. You could either play against the AI, right, bad news. Don't ever involve AIs. You can play against the AI, uh, or you could play against somebody else, you know, somewhere else in the internet, I guess. But you were shooting in the dark at first, right? You'd be shooting this arrow going, man, I'm not really sure where they are. Eventually, you'd maybe kind of figure out where they were. And, and in the, what the people are telling David, they're saying, hey, they're bending the boat. They're getting ready, and they're shooting in the dark. Well, why is that? Because when the wicked attack the righteous, when they're coming after those who are pursuing God, who have solid ground and foundation, which we're about to talk about, what are they doing? Well, they're shooting around in the dark. I mean, they're trying, they're going, if we could just do this, and maybe we would hurt them. And they're like, I don't know why that didn't work. Or maybe we'll try this. And maybe they hurt us a little. Maybe they get to David a little bit. But in the end, what do we know? David ends up becoming king. Uh, He leads the nation to one of the most prosperous times uh, that they have. And in the advice that he's given, it says to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. So David's guys, he knows that. David knows that. We are upright in heart. 
And the wicked, when they pursue us, when they're getting ready to attack, and when they do, they're still, they, are they going to be able to get at us? Probably not. But it's a warning. And so David goes, okay. And the last thing that they say that he recounts for us to read in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so they're saying to David, hey, if, if the foundations are destroyed, like if they, I mean, if they get to us, if they can really harm us, if they eventually figure out how to hurt us because they're shooting in the dark, then what are the righteous going to do? And, and David's going to address this, but, but within their perception, it's kind of like, if you heard the story of three pigs, right? Uh, you have this house that's built out of straw, this house that's built out of sticks, and a house that's built out of bricks. And the way that they're perceiving this or, or giving it to David, they're saying, what happens if our foundation it gets destroyed? And what, what will the righteous do? Well, what happens for the righteous? They've got things a little mixed up, don't they? Maybe they, they understand a little bit of what's going on, that they're being pursued, that the wicked are shooting around in the dark. But then they get to this concept that David shares with, with us. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, what foundation do we have? Well, certainly not one built out of straw, right? David goes, I mean, that's not us. What about one built out of sticks? Well, that's not the foundation that we have either. And so David's going to respond, and he's going, I don't think you guys even understand. Like, we're, you want us to run away. They are pursuing us, but they're shooting in the dark. And, and, and now you're saying, wait a minute, what happens if the foundations are destroyed? What will the righteous do? Maybe you're not seeing things clearly. And David's going to lay things straight for us, that we have this foundation that's probably more like that third that had that foundation of the brick. So as we look at this in living peace and having peace in our time, here's the second point. Peace in His presence. So we, we looked at uh, this peace in the storm. So, so how do we have that? Well, um, there's going to be things that are going to come. People are going to say things to us. And we've got to be able to look at that and go, how are we supposed to have peace even though things may be tough? And David responds, and he goes, it's about having peace in his presence, in God's presence. And this is what he says in verse 4, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So, so David goes, uh, does he go, oh, you guys are right, Let, let's flee like a bird to the mountains. Oh no, you're, you're right. They're shooting. They're going to shoot arrows at us, and uh, they're pursuing us. And oh no, what happens if they hit us at some point? I mean, they are shooting around in the dark because we are the righteous. We are the upright in heart. And then they say, Oh no, what, what happens if they get to us and the foundation's destroyed? What will the righteous do? And David says, You got it all wrong. He says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So, so where does God sit? And David says, Jehovah. Where does Je- That's what it says in the Hebrew. Where does Jehovah sit? Where does the, the, oh, by the way, the guy who's been around forever. Where's that guy? Where, where's the guy that we follow? Oh, he's sitting on his throne, right? I love the kids' quiet time. We do the, the Word of Life um, quiet time books, and so I, I get to see all of those. And since Alana does hers every day, we sit down, we look at it. There was uh, in the quiet time today in Luke, or in uh, this last week in Luke, uh, there was Jesus uh, sitting on the throne in one of the pictures of the quiet time. And it said, God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. And there's a graveyard on the other side. It says, here's where God is seated. 
He's seated on his throne. He's not seated in a graveyard, right? And so while David's counselors were going, oh no, what are we going to do? These things are happening. What happens if they get to us? What happens if they destroy the foundation? He says, you guys don't understand. This foundation, it's built on a lot more than just us. It's built on a lot more than just a few mighty men that David had with him. It's built on the Lord, Jehovah, who is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So what does is, what is God do? Well, it says his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. And so he's, he's not only on his throne, but he's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. So um, Paul put it this way in Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 24 through 28. It says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yes, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So where does God sit? He sits in heaven. He sits enthroned. Yet he's everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. So we trust a God who, he's not just sort of like looking over and and David says, "Where, where does our foundation rest? It sits on God who is sitting on the throne. And by the way, just if you needed more clarification, as Paul elaborates, God's everywhere, and he's holding every single molecule together of the universe, right? So our being that he's given us, he literally is holding us together. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? Like if God was like, I don't care anymore, right? But yet, by his own word, by his actions, his thoughts, he holds the universe together, the very universe that he created, and he's also sitting on the throne reigning. And I know that David said this for a reason, because they were worried about a earthly king, right? They were worried about, oh, Saul's pursuing us, and there's these other earthly nations and kings that are pursuing us, and David's going, why are you guys worrying about this, right? We're not like little birds, that every time, like, oh, somebody gets close, they fly away, right? Uh, We are serving the one true God, Jehovah. And then he says in verse 5, just to put this in a little bit more perspective, we serve a God who sits on the throne, then in verse 5, he says, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So, wait a minute. The Lord tests the righteous. David's telling his guys, hey, look, this may get a little bit worse before it gets better. We serve a God who sits on the throne. He can't move our foundation. We're not going to fly away like little birds, but the Lord tests the righteous. So you might want to be aware of that, okay? He doesn't just say, hey, look, I'm going to make life perfect. I'm going to make everything exactly the way you want it to be, the entirety of your life. But yet, if you follow me, There's going to be testing. There's going to be testing for the righteous. But the good news is, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. So this word for test here, the Lord tests, is actually only found 27 times in the Old Testament. It's this word bakan in the Hebrew, and it just means to examine, to try, or prove. And we hear that word examine or exam, right? I know kids, you guys are like, no, I don't like that. I don't like exams. I wasn't good at those either, okay? By the way, but this is what the Lord does. He examines us. He tries us. He proves us. And in Job 23.10, you'll see this word test 
in a few different places in the book of Job. Uh, in, uh, in chapter 23 of verse 10 in Job, it says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. That's kind of an interesting statement for Job to make. He's been through a lot of stuff, by the way. So if you read the book of Job, uh, he loses all of his stuff. He loses all of his wealth. He loses all of his family, too, except for his wife, who in the end says, you know, this isn't worth it anymore. She's like, uh, maybe you just need to give up. And Job's response after he's gone through all these things, he says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. And this isn't prideful of Job either. He, he knows he's, he's walked blamelessly, but yet he's suffered all these things. And he says, the Lord knows, right? It doesn't matter what other people say, because by the way, his friends, when they come to him, they go, Job, man, what did you do to make God angry, right? I mean, what, what did you do to make this happen? And he says, the Lord knows the way that I take, right? Just like he knows the way that we all take. And he says, when he has tried me because this isn't a question of like is this going to happen like am i going to go through difficult times i mean anybody that's lived long enough to have a memory about being alive knows difficult times happen right in our culture and in our time in history that's even more evident isn't it and so he says when he has tried me i shall come out as gold now i don't know if you know anything about like the refining process of gold I'm sure you have like lots of gold laying around, uh, but but the way that they make this, they kind of pull the impurities out. They've got to get it to a certain temperature, right? And so uh, we should just understand that as David's laying this out, he's saying we're not going to be moved. We have this foundation that's greater. It's the Lord. He sits on the throne, and he says, "But the Lord, the Lord tests the righteous." And Job knows this is a given. These things were going to happen, but when I come out, he says, "I shall come out." As gold, And what you have to do with gold to get it to the temperature in order to pull out all those impurities is just under 2,000 degrees. So if you can imagine how hot that is, right at 1,947 degrees, gold is hot enough for the smith to go in there and pull out all those impurities so that it can make, he can make it pure gold. And so in any refining process, I mean, you could apply this to a lot of different things, coal in regards to diamonds, like without pressure, uh, without heat, there's nothing that is refined. There's nothing that becomes better or greater. And while we're going through it, we don't feel like that, right? We don't feel like we're going to come out as gold. We're like, I feel like trash right now. Uh, this is, I don't feel like gold, but yet the elements are there, and God, he's just putting the heat. He's putting the heat there, not to torture us, right? Not to punish us, because some of us think that too. It's like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? You must not like me. You must not love me. And that's where we go sometimes. But David, he goes, we're not going to run away. We've got this foundation that's greater. And by the way, we're going to be tested. And that's part of the deal. And so just like Job says, I'm going to come out like gold. We actually need to look at these trials or these testings like James said. So the half-brother of Jesus said this in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so David understands this. He's got this we've got this greater foundation. He's reassuring everybody, okay, yeah, I mean, if we, if we didn't have God on our side, if we didn't have the foundation, because you don't understand the righteous have a foundation that's greater than anything else. We're not going to run away like birds. 
And so he says the testing is going to come. And then he gives us this perspective. So the, the righteous are tested, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. And then in verse 6, he says, Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be a portion of their cup. So, so what happens? Wait a minute. There's this fire. There's this testing for those who are righteous. And it, it like Job said, brings us out like pure gold. But what happens to the wicked? What happens to those who are not pursuing God? Well, David reminds us, hey, look, at the end of the day, you need to let God worry about wickedness, right? You need to let God worry about people who are not pursuing Him. Let's focus on God. I mean, it's like we sang about today. Let's you know, fix our eyes on Him, right? He's our mighty fortress. Here's, he's where we find refuge. But the wicked, that's not where they find refuge. In fact, they try to find it in everything else that life has to offer, right? Whether it's position or power or money or whatever it might be, all those things that people think fulfill them. He says, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So there's this comparison here that the fire, that the testing or the refining for the righteous produces pure gold. But what does it produce for the wicked? Well, when the fire comes, when the, uh, the testing or the, the fire he talks about here and sulfur and scorching winds, it's not a good portion for their cup, right? It's, it's raining down coals on the wicked, the fire and sulfur. And so I thought about, um, as I was, I was thinking through this, just examples of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What happened to them? Uh, well, they, nothing, right? They were uh, following God entirely. And then when they were told, if you don't bow down to the king, right, when, when, when this music is played, uh, then we're going to, what, we're going to throw you in the fire. And that's exactly what they did. They said, okay, well, um, it was quite literally a fire of testing for them. And they got thrown in there. But I, I was reading back through that story and I, I was going, what happened to the guys that threw them in the fire? Oh, yeah, they got burned up, didn't they? So as Shadrach and Meshach are being thrown into the fire, there are these guys who are, who are running to throw him in and they, they get just close enough just to barely get them in there. And they get completely burned up. So there's this idea here as, as David's thinking about this, as he's, he's going, this is the God who we serve. We stand on a solid foundation. And by the way, those who don't, well, uh, in a similar way, that fire that comes, there's a testing that's going to come that the wicked cannot withstand, right? They don't stand on that foundation. So the people who are giving David, advi- David advice, they got it right, kind of, in this idea of when the foundation's destroyed, only when you're not righteous, when you're not following God, well, it's going to end badly. And so that same type of fire, like for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they get thrown into the fire, and Jesus is standing there right next to them, and the king and everybody else are watching, they're going, well, our guys got burned up, but there's now four guys in there. And in that testing fire that they went through, literally, they came out of it alive and refined as gold. But yet the wicked who threw him in there, well, they didn't make it, did they? And so now uh, David closes this out with uh, verse 7, this idea of uh, perseverance. Um, and it's, it's intrinsic within this idea of, of walking through this difficulty. And David kind of trying to reshape for all these mighty men who are following him, which if you got to meet any of these guys, like they would be like uh, the greatest like mightiest warriors you would have ever met, right? They'd be greater than the Avengers. We talked about that at the beginning. Uh, they would be these mighty warriors that if you, you'd like be scared to even go talk to them. And these mighty warriors are looking at David going, like, let's flee. Let's flee to the mountains. Like, let's, let's get out of here. Like, what happens if the foundation gets destroyed? And David says, 
You guys need a little bit of a change of perspective. This is the God who we worship. And he, ch- he closes out with this verse. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Uh, and, and so this is a, a really an awesome promise. And David would have been one of the greatest motivational speakers of his time if there uh, were such a thing then. And here's what he says. There's this promise for the Lord is righteous. He's not saying like, maybe, maybe he is, like, like I hope we're on the winning team. <laughs> That's not what he says. He says, the Lord Jehovah is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. So what do people who follow God do? Well, they do righteous deeds. Now, we know this is not what merits a salvation, right? This isn't what, we don't do good things so that we'll get into heaven, right? We do good things because we love God. We do the righteous deeds. And so the Lord is righteous, He loves righteous deeds, those who love him, the things that they do. And then it says about us, and David's talking to his men. He says about the upright, he says, the upright shall behold his face. Now, can you imagine, I mean, after going through everything that David did, and and certainly he made a lot of mistakes too, right? Uh, He, he, in his last battle, kind of going out against the Philistines, uh, Goliath's relatives almost kill him. Um, you don't you don't see that, but we just read that in the quiet time recently. That at the end of the book of First uh, and Second Samuel, when you look at that, his life, um, he goes back into battle as an old man, and his men have to go. Hey, David, uh, you maybe you need to take a break. All right, you're getting getting kind of up there in years. We know you're still a mighty warrior, but you got a little bit tired, and we almost lost you. And so uh, David wasn't without error. But yet he's able to say this to his men in the face of great opposition. I mean, everywhere they went, like nobody would have been their friends, right? And so they were fighting everyone. They were fighting for Israel. And they say, let's just run away, David. Let's just go and do our own thing. And he says, here is the foundation that we have. And it rests on God who sits in heaven on his throne. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So you can imagine following Jesus, I mean, in our lives now, right? Bring it to our world, uh, going through this difficult season, the rest of our life. None of us are guaranteed like uh, wealth or power or position, and certainly without infirmity or without health issue, right? We've experienced that. Our family of faith has, uh, faith has prayed through a lot of health difficulties of cancer, and we've, we've come through that, but there's no guarantees again. And so at the end of all this, right? So whatever we go through, the testing, which produces what Job said, this refinement that's producing pure gold, David says, the upright shall behold his face. So there's this promise. It's like, whatever else happens, guys, he's saying, guys, it's going to be okay. Like we serve the God of the universe. And finally, the upright shall behold his face. Can you imagine following Jesus your whole life and you stand before God and you behold his face, right? Isn't that what it's all about? That we pursue, we follow Jesus and we love him. And what's the reward that comes? Well, David gives us the result of our perseverance, which is that we stand before God. And uh, Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy. As he's, he's talking to Timothy from his jail cell, and he's about to die uh, from being in prison because the Romans, they don't want him to get out and tell more people. Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. So church, if we, could, if we could only endure, right? If we could only endure to the end, just imagine the things 
that you'll see standing before God. And Paul knew that, right? It's always kind of like, it's kind of like even eerie to me, like when you're around somebody who is, the end of life is near, right? Um, there's confidence, there's assurance, and sometimes it's just hard to get. Like even when people are suffering and in pain, um, and they're able to say, man, all the things that God has done for me, I'm not even worthy of. And you know what? Soon I'll be standing before him. I'll see his face. And this is what David says. He goes, look, guys, no matter what, we're going to behold his face, the king of the universe. And Paul, he says the same thing. We've run this race. We've kept the faith. There's this crown of righteousness that's been laid up for us that when we die, he says, here's the crown. And you're standing before the king being crowned with that crown of righteousness, if you can imagine that. And so I'll close with this, just a, um, a story from our family recently. I know I've, I've said a lot of things about my grandfather who passed away at the end of November, um, so I apologize if you're tired of hearing stories, but um, just one that I had been thinking about a lot uh, lately and praying as I, I got to visit with him, and um, I, didn't, I didn't get to go down to Texas until kind of after he was uh, pretty close to the end, uh, and because the day that I saw him, he passed away the next day. And so I got down there kind of just in time to hold his hand and talk with him, and um, he wasn't able to talk to me. Uh, and so I, I was kind of like, oh, man, that's kind of disappointing. I wanted to be able to, him to be able to say something to me, but I talked to him for about an hour. And uh, after I left the room, I was talking with my grandmother, who her birthday was yesterday. She just turned 88. And so I was talking with her um, outside of the room, and she was sharing with me some of the things that he said when he could still talk. And she, she looked at me and she said, Michael, the last time that... I talked to him that I, I held his hand. Um, he, he asked me to come close. It was hard to speak, even at that time when he was losing his voice. And he leaned over and whispered in her ear, I can see Jesus. And so and she, and she, she kind of took, took a step back, and uh, there's other people in the room. She goes, you can see Jesus? And uh, he, he nodded yes, and he pointed beside himself. And so, and I've, you know, I've heard of those kind of things before, but just never experienced it, you know, within uh, my family. And so she shared that with me, and I thought, man, what a great uh, confirmation for us, right? Um, that even before you might uh, go into eternity, uh, you might see Jesus himself. You might see him face to face before you take that next step. Um, and I was reminded by that and just given um, hope and confirmation, right? We're always looking for those things. Like, God, if you would just, like, if you would just show me this, right? We always ask for evidences, right, in our own minds, in our lives. And he gives them to us constantly, by the way, when we ask those questions. Um, and I was struggling when I visited with him, and she shared that with me. And I thought, what a great confirmation of what we believe. That like David said, the upright shall behold his face. Um, at the end of life, when we, even before we stand before God in heaven, um, sometimes he gives us those glimpses, those pictures, and those evidences of who he is, and that we can see Jesus. Um, and so that was just a, um, a wonderful thing for me to think about. And, and I know as we think about this idea of uh, peace, um, being able to have peace in our time, we ask, how can we really have that? Is really following Jesus, does he really give that to us? He does. Uh, and maybe if you're here today and you've never made that decision, maybe if you're like, I, I've, I've never had peace. Maybe if you're li- listening online, you got, I really don't even know what that's about. It's as easy as this. Hey, I like this because it's the ABCs. A, you admit that you're a sinner, right? Everybody is. Everybody falls short. David knew that. He rested on who God was. A B, you believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins after living that sinless life for us. And C, you confess that he's the Lord of your life. 
Uh, and we've seen some great evidences of that recently. Um, baptisms that have taken place with young people saying, uh, God is who he said he is in my life. He's the Lord of my life, giving us that public profession of faith so that we might be encouraged and live that. And so if that's you, I'll be here afterwards. I'd love to talk to you um, or reach out if you're listening online afterwards. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll close. Uh, Father, we thank you for this, uh, this day. Um, God, just for the simple things, the um, sunrise um, in the morning um, on a clear morning before a cloudy day, mind you. And uh, God, we're, uh, we're so appreciative of that. Um, God, help us to remember when times seem tough and when the testing comes, um, God, we know this has to come uh, for our own purification. David knew that the response wasn't to run away like a bird. Uh, It wasn't to doubt you. It wasn't to get worried um, when the wicked pursue or when there's evil things that go on. Um, God, we know those things will take place. And God, we're given this testing uh, of our faith that produces this gold, this refinement in our lives. Uh, God, we just pray that maybe... Uh, if there's somebody here, there's somebody listening, um, that this peace that many of us, if not most of us in the room, experience, some of us listening, uh, God, I pray for those that don't have that peace, um, that they would reach out to you, uh, they would extend um, that hand and say, God, I need that peace in my life, so I don't have to feel like those who are with Dave and said, should we run away? God, you've given us the clear foundation uh, of your word, your placement in heaven, the fact that you are everywhere and you hold everything together. God, I pray that we could trust in you in that so that we can have this perspective like David did, that in the end uh, we would behold your face and maybe before we even pass into eternity. Um, God, I thank you for those evidences, those things that you show us, um, the miraculous things, God, that you still do. Uh, Help us to see you uh, in the way that David saw you, a man who was after your own heart. Um, Let our hearts be after yours also. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Love you, church family. I hope you have a wonderful day.